Blog Talk Radio. talking Olympics, 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 which have actually already begun in Sochi. We're doing this uh, live on Thursday. The first time I've seen pre-Olympic events, uh, they've happened very seldom in the past, but uh, the opening ceremonies are Friday, and we're going to have a special guest on in a couple minutes, uh, Dave Zyron from the uh, great website Edge of Sports and Nation Magazine, uh, just a provocative, uh, excellent writer about uh, kind of the intersection of politics and culture and sports. Um, so, Sid, are uh, you excited about these Olympics? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't uh, – yeah, it, it, it feels like a funny Olympics to me. I just um, – you know, it's hard to say. I'm kind of int- more, a little more interested in the sideshow of the Olympics, which is sad to me. I am I, kind of an Olympics guy and, and – I, I enjoy watching the Olympics generally, but sad that I'm distracted by other things around the Olympics instead of just athletes and, and, and what's going to happen there. Well, it, it, it's, it's one of the first times I ever remember that we're not talking about the athletes. We're not talking about, you know, who's going to win the hockey gold medal because there's all sorts of things going on. You have the gay laws in Russia. You have the basically the civil war that has been going on in the caucuses for pretty much forever, where there's fears of, of uh, violence. You've had the reports from all the media about how ill-prepared Sochi seems with toilets with no you know, no pipes connected to them and urine-colored water that you're told not to put on your face because it'll have chemicals <laughs> and stray dogs being rounded up and exterminated. I mean, it's that's been the Sochi sort of sideshow so, so far, and it's not been anything about the sports. Uh, and I don't, I don't think we should pretend that, uh, you know, it, it, it has to be about the sport. This is what the IOC got into when they gave the Olympics to Russia. It's one of the most corrupt countries in the world. Um, the estimates for building costs, $50 billion. Vancouver was $7 billion, most expensive Olympics ever. $50 uh, billion? $50 billion, and they estimate that the amount of uh, the money – Skimmed off just in production alone equals the entire budget for Vancouver. I mean, it's just, it's astonishing. And then you see the, I, I saw a picture of the Swiss house. You know, they have all these houses, the Dutch house, the American, the Swiss yeah. house. It's basically um, unfinished wood with, you know, giant gaps in it. <laughs> and it has the word Swiss house over it. I mean, it's just sort of a perfect metaphor for it. Um, but then I watched some of the live coverage uh, last night, uh, 12 hours ahead before I went to bed. And when you're just looking at the actual sports venues and it's on TV, it looks beautiful, you know, because it's the tight camera shot and everything's nice and nicely in color. Um, so I have no idea how, how this is going to be received uh, in the West this time. Well, I think part of it is, is we like to laugh at Russia. <laughs> We've always liked to laugh at Russia. So, so these stories are just feed into the stereotype of of, of the, the Soviet Union and the former Soviet Union. Vladimir Putin can't run his government, and uh, so it's. Um, so I think it's, I think it plays into our our stereotype of Russia pretty well, and I think 
I can imagine the late night talk shows are having a field day with it. I haven't watched though. Well, it's just the best of the two the, the two man bathrooms. If you've not seen the pictures, are everywhere. But on Outsports, where you know it's two stalls, literally, or two yeah, not uh, two toilets right next to each other. So much. Have they having... said the reasoning behind that? Uh, well, no, they try to say, well, this one thing has been turned into a storage closet, but then people found other double toilets elsewhere, so no, no one probably said, hey, we have a little extra money left over, what do I do with this one, uh, this toilet, I'll just stick it in there next to the one next to it. You have told me that in, in China, that, that essentially if you use the bathroom, it's just a hole in the floor, and, and there's no partitions between them, so... So, you know, is it, is it a cultural thing that well, we need our own bathroom? Yeah, except you would think if you're spending $50 billion on something, you would make something a little more modern yeah. in that regard. I mean, you know, yeah. I could understand places where they don't have the infrastructure, but if you're spending that amount of money, you think you yeah. have a bit of a partition. <laughs> hey, Jim, we got uh, Dave Zirin calling in from, from Washington, D.C. I assume he's in Washington, D.C. Dave, how are you? Hey, great to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. Dave, do you have Sochi fever? Do I have dysentery? Do you mean? Um, <laughs> yeah, that might be the closest thing I have to Sochi fever. No, the closest thing I have to Sochi fever is a fevered belief that Putin has actually finally been the first leader to produce an Olympics that's uniting the world, only it's uniting the world against everything that he's doing. Well, I read your column on the Edge of Sports, which if people haven't seen it, go to the go to edgeofsports.com, and you have a picture of Vladimir with the uh, the pink uh, the pink cheeks, basically. And you said uh, basically that was your whole point of this: something for everyone. I mean, you got into the genocide of 150 years ago and workers' rights and the environment and gay things. I mean, it's simply is is there a part of this that they haven't kind of ruined? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, I, I put so much of this, though, on the International Olympic Committee because I'll say this for Vladimir Putin. He went into the IOC with this proposal, and it's not like he said, hey, we're going to do this in Moscow. Psych, it's Sochi. It's a subtropical climate in the Caucasus Mountains. Gotcha. You know, that's not what he did. He went in there very explicitly and said, I believe the exact quotes was he wanted to, quote, remake the region." and use the Olympics to do that. And so I, I didn't know that the IOC was in the business of region remaking, but apparently they are. And Sochi, which is a very small town at the foot of a mountain, is now the site of this global mega event. And I think that in and of itself, the starting point was not only Putin's kind of imperial arrogance, but it was the enablers at the IOC. Well, probably the enablers, and is not even being funny, would probably little <laughs> nice some envelopes probably had a lot to do with that in, in changing their mind. Has there been bribery scandals before? And it has not been Absolutely. past the IOC uh, delegates to sort of, you know, to use that as a, you know, <laughs> to, to sort of have their minds changed, so to speak. No, absolutely. I mean, See, anyone. Things... Go oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, no, just that anybody who thinks that uh, these these operations are run uh spick and span and super clean and i it's just i mean you're kidding yourself i mean people can can do the research there, there's a great book called uh the lords of the rings by andrew jennings that details the history of bribery and all of the structural problems in the ioc have not gone anywhere and frankly 
if there was a bribery scandal, at least that would provide some semblance of logic to why these games are in Sochi. <laughs> so obviously a lot of people are talking about whether they should watch the games or not, and there's a debate about uh, the impact of, of refusing to turn your TV on to NBC. Where, where do you stand on this? Will you be watching the, these Olympic games? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question, and this came up the other night. I was doing a panel on the Olympics um, in New York, and several people raised the issue of not watching, and other people said very guiltily that they would watch, but they wouldn't feel good about it. And I think that's got to be the first point, is that guilt as an emotion doesn't really help anybody do anything. Um, Second of all, I think that the discussions that come out of these games – are going to be informed by what athletes do. And that's both athletes who succeed spectacularly on the field of play, as well as athletes who choose to use their Olympic platform to say something about what's going on. Almost certainly it's going to be exclusively the LGBT issue, but no matter what issue that that athletes choose to speak about, um, that also then informs and develops the discussion. So to me, it becomes a question of protest, cultural, and sports literacy. And if we want to really know what's happening and we want to build a stronger movement for next time, then actually watching the games is a prerequisite for that. And then completely apart from that, it's a little hard, given our current sports environment, to guilt anybody about watching sports. I mean, because where does that end? I mean, You know what I'm saying? It's like once you start seeing how the sausage is made, uh, no, nobody's coming out of this without trichinosis. And well, I don't see, it all, I don't see people. I don't see people oh, just, boycotting the New Orleans Saints games. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, while if we wanted to construct an argument to do so, we could probably construct an unassailable one. It, it just it becomes it becomes a question of like the idea of there even being a pure sports that you feel good about yourself supporting. I mean, you might drive yourself completely off the rails. But but just to, to say one thing as well, it's like there's also needs to be kind of a humanistic acknowledging that we live in such a uh, – like U.S. sports culture is like the equivalent of, of British food. I mean, it, it's pretty plain, it's pretty basic, and it's pretty much the same old crap three times a day. Um, the The thing about the Olympics is that it does provide a diversity of sports, and it's really one of the only times where women athletes get – the attention that so often is denied them. And so it's, it's, it's a little difficult to be churlish about that. Like when, when you see, you know, not just kids, but grownups, uh, like excited about the fact that they get to discover a new sport or get, or get a new hero. Well, this is actually the first time that the women have the equal opportunities in the Olympics ever. They're actually the same number yep. of events for women as there are for men. And when I come down to, you know, am I going to watch or not? One of the things that I think about is we've been asking these athletes to speak up on our behalf and to, and to stand up with us. How do we, while they're in Sochi, how do we not in turn support them by simply watching them on the TV? Where I don't see what good comes from shutting the TV off. I mean, suddenly Coca-Cola isn't going to lose billions of dollars because, or NBC because, you know, a few hundred thousand people didn't watch. Exactly, and to put something else on that, like in, in 21st century culture, so much of uh, the money is on lockdown in advance anyway. 
I mean, right. it's like conceivably they might have to return some money to sponsors, but I don't even think that that's in this particular in the Olympic deal because it's such a it's considered to be such a, a cherry on the Sunday of, of sports marketing and sports television. And but I but I think the point that you make is absolutely correct. I mean, providing support and solidarity for athletes who may do something political is also, frankly, just about supporting them as they do uh, what is going to be, like, I think one of the most important moments of their own lives. And as we saw with the news that just came out about about the women's downhill, I mean, something that's also really perilous, something that could be really dangerous. And and we we want to be in a position to support these athletes, and we want to be in a position to not just provide them political support in terms of solidarity or allyship, but but actually just the moral support of, hey, we realize you trained for this and we realize that this has been probably the only thing you've been thinking about for years and you still might risk that uh, to say something beyond the five feet in front of your face. Well, also along those lines, we have a, we have a list today on Outsports of 39 Winter Olympians and who support gay rights. I mean, there are people like, yeah. you know, Dustin Brown of the hockey team, uh, Sidney Crosby, figure skaters, bobsledders, and so these people have kind of actually said something, you know, about the issue, and there's also seven openly LGBT people, all all the L variety, and we've had one, a Slovenian cross-country skier who's been retweeting us, and we've been tweeting her, and she's excited to be there, so I think to sort of ignore the Olympics is to ignore these people who actually have kind of stood up and said something. No, I agree with that. I agree with that entirely. Um, it's it's the sort of thing, too, it's like you, you look at it historically, and, and I know we've discussed this before, but, like, the, the, these, these sort of, like, these boycott efforts around sports, I mean, they tend just not to produce the results that you want. And so it's like that expression about, um, you know, it's like, why would you keep digging if you're in a hole? You know, it's like you're doing something that's mm. not working. The idea of repeating it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense if we want to move in the right direction. Well, especially since that any boycott, Putin is not going to wind up having to kick back money to the NBC. I mean, like you said, that money has already been sunk cost. So someone someone saying they're boycotting the Olympics, if they think they're making a statement, is not going to do anything. If they want to boycott it because they simply don't want to watch it, that's a different issue. But yeah, yeah. boycotts never never sort of hit the people they should they're intended to hit. Yeah, I mean, I just, I mean, that's the thing, but personal boycotts, you know, it's like, what, Hemingway had this quote where he said, morality is what you can feel good about in the morning. I mean, it's like, I, I've never mm-hmm. guilted anybody for wearing Nike shoes, but I've done, like, so much research on Nike that I can't buy them when I'm in the store. You know, it's not a political statement that I don't wear Nikes, and I know that other shoe companies aren't much better, but it just becomes one of those things where, you know, it's like I see that swoosh and I get like this, this chill goes up my spine. Sorry to use that expression. That's been a loaded term in recent weeks. But just like, but like I just get very upset when, when I, when, you know, so it's just like it's what, what people are comfortable with with themselves. And I, but but I, I side with you a million percent. It's like there are people there who've already spoken out. And I think watching them is a form of solidarity. One of the questions that I have, the things I've been struggling with is, we know about some of the human rights atrocities in, in Russia, and, and it's undeniable that they're taking place. It's also undeniable that there are human rights issues in the United States, which hosted the Olympics yep. uh, a dozen years ago, and there are human rights issues in Beijing. And, and I know the LGBT yep. community is – they've never been focused on this ever. This, 
what is it that we need to know beyond LGBT issues? Like the couple nuggets we need to know about human rights issues in Russia that makes this place so much worse than everywhere else. I'm glad you mentioned that because there is definitely an element of the fact that these issues are getting amplified in Russia because Russia is at loggerheads with the United States and not just around LGBT rights at all, Syria, Middle East, oil, and what it's done is amplified. Yeah, that Snowden fella who people might have heard of. And it's what it's done is it's, it's, it's amplified voices who are, who have been consistently raising human rights issues around the Olympics for years. And you have new voices in the fray, people who are, who I would argue are not friends of human rights, people like Glenn Beck, who are able to then also like get on this bandwagon and be like Russia bad, Russia bad. And I've been, I've argued consistently that like, I, I thought it was a real problem that President Obama took time in the State of the Union to say, to really infer uh, a, a point about LGBT rights in the Olympics in Russia and then leave out any mention of ENDA, which was apparently in the original draft of the State of the Union, or the fact that, you know, in 29 states, it's still legal to fire someone on the basis of their sexuality in the United States. It's like, it's like we, we have an obligation to keep raising these issues and not, and not just say, oh, look, it's Russia, because then that really just it really ignores the, the, the problems in our own backyard, uh, where I think so much of activism really does need to start. Um, but, but to get to your, to your original question about what, what's going on, I think the main issue, things like we can say these things at the same time, that all Olympics have these problems of hypersecurity and budget busting and corruption and attacks on, on, on the most vulnerable in society. So many Olympics have those traits. Atlanta in 1996 had those traits. You know, this is nothing that the United States is immune from. But at the same time, we can say that and say that the situation in Russia is that much worse. And the reason why it's that much worse, cause I'm sorry it took me so long to get to the actuality of your question, but the reason why it's that much worse is because that, that starting point that I talked about early on, about this is going to remake the caucuses. Like, that, that to me was the kind of original sin of this whole project. That's how you get to a point where one road costs more than the entire Vancouver Olympics or, you know, or there has to be a mass extermination of stray dogs, you know, which is horrifying on so many levels. Or, you know, and, and part of that, too, is the idea of making sure that the Olympics happen really on, on the 150th anniversary of the Circassian Genocide which was with Circassian people lived in the Sochi region. Sochi is a Circassian word. I mean, it, it's this idea of saying, I'm not only going to remake a region, but I'm going to remake an entire, I'm going to basically reboot the history of, this, of, of the caucuses. And so that's really why we are where we are. And that history goes back, I mean, it goes back prior to Putin, prior to the Soviet Union, and it goes back to the days of the czars, and there's some really good That's history right. books around that. And so yeah. it's just amazing the, the mass transfers of people that have occurred in that area, you know, under Stalin and then, uh, you know, under the basically the pretext to get the Russians down there with those bombings and those, those apartment buildings that people, a lot of people think were actually deliberately set by the Russian security forces. Right. You know, and so you have all this, this this history that people aren't aware of that is just so kind of it's so complicated and so so long in the region that's, that we simply say terrorism versus Putin, and it makes it sound like one's a good guy, one's a bad guy. You know what a loose parallel would be would be if the United States was granted the Olympics and they said, 
uh, you know, we know we're going to stage them in, in the Iraqi green zone. And because, you know, this is a place we want to remake. It's a place we want to invest in. It's a place we want to recreate in our own image. So the green zone will be the site of the next U.S. Olympics. And then shock, 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 it doesn't quite go as planned. And, I mean, I think, obviously, if they ever did that, it's just being ridiculous here. But, like, people would recognize immediately that it was a bad idea. But I think we're collectively, and I certainly put myself in this category because it's been such a learning experience for me, but we're, we're collectively so ignorant about the caucuses, so ignorant about the history, and so ignorant about the just asking that basic question like, wait a minute, why are they going to be in Sochi? You know, it's just something that I don't think enough of us asked when they were awarded it. Well, I guess that's like saying uh, we put it in Jackson, Mississippi, essentially. Yeah. Oh, well, Dave, I know you. I mean, you know you got to go, and uh, we thank you for joining us uh, for chatting about this today. No, I know. Where are you headed? Are you, are you going to be watching the games? Yeah, I'm going to be watching the games. Thank, thank goodness. So I, I hate to say it like that, but like I'm glad I'm not there. Um, <laughs> let's put it like that. Um, I'm excited to see Sarah Hendrickson, the 19-year-old gold medal favorite in, in the women's long jump. First time uh, the women skiers have ever had a, a, been part of the long the, the ski jump in, in the history of the Olympics, um, overcoming just decades of institutionalized sexism to get it. And and you know, I'm, so there, there's a lot I'm I'm legitimately excited about, um, and there's a lot that I'm kind of nervous about. I'm both nervous for the athletes who speak out and nervous if there are any attacks. Of course, I do have a lot of friends over there. So, you know, it's, it's, it's the idea of not watching to me is like not – is the equivalent of not thinking about all I've been thinking about for the last several months. Well, we'll be watching also. We'll be writing about it. You'll, you'll be writing about it and tweeting about it. Um, so, Dave, thanks so much for being our guest today. We'll, we hope to have you back on to talk about other, other issues. No, my, my privilege. Thanks, fellas. Thanks, Dave. I like that guy. Yeah, Dave is always very. I mean, he because he, he comes at it from a, a sense of history. It's not like gee, Sochi just was sprung up yesterday. <laughs> you know, he goes back to something that happened 150 years ago that the people in the region they still remember. So, yeah, no, and uh, he's but he's I call he's one of the great allies that we have in the LGBT sports movement. He, I, I love what he said. Colin, when he wrote about Kai Allums, I think it was recently, he talked about, I think even for my, my column, he talked about straight people in the LGBT sports movement being the offensive linemen, being the guys you don't know their name, they're out there um, speaking on our behalf and creating opportunities for LGBT people to, to speak for themselves. So, And, and I, I don't, there are very few people who do it as well as Dave does. And I know we'll have a lot more to talk about on the Olympics um, as we're going forward. And in a couple of minutes before we have left, uh, we have had so much coming out stories recently. Um, and this week we had uh, some really good ones. We had soccer player. We've had a swimmer. We had who else we had? We had um, football player. Football player. Who was the first one? Oh, we had the baseball player. Baseball player. It's been a long week. Wow. I mean, the football player, Scott Cooper, um, he wrote a great first-person story about he was openly gay on his college football team and um, was asked by a coach to speak at National Coming Out Day on campus, which is pretty amazing. 
So we have a story up and a video with Scott. Um, and we had Jordan Sayers from uh, Columbia University in soccer and Chandler Whitney in baseball, who's actually the boyfriend of Connor Mertens, we wrote about last week. So we've had uh, we've had several more, and we'll have you know several more coming up. That is great how that unfolded. You, we do the story on Connor Mertens, and all along he's kind of telling me about this uh, his boyfriend, who's a shy baseball player, community college, and you know I try not to mention boyfriend's names in stories because. You never know when they won't be their boyfriend anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, the few days after we wrote about Connor, I get a text message. Chandler came out to his team. He wants to talk to you. Here's his phone number. So it was, uh, and, and <laughs> it was great that you, you saw somebody, you know, coming out having a direct influence on the life of his boyfriend. Yeah. So it's it's really special. We've heard from a lot of other athletes too. Every time we we, we write a story like that, some somebody else finds the courage to come out to their family or their team. Or and we had a gay else. a gay swimmer today. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, Jay. And and what's what's neat about him is he grew up in Plano, Texas, and was out to his team there. And yeah, no issues. Oh, there was one issue. There's one issue with. I think he said a senior, his junior year, but the rest of the team told the guy to shut the hell up, and uh, <laughs> and he took care of it for Jay. So it's, it's it's almost like rinse and repeat, right? I, I was so afraid of coming out. I came out to my team. Everyone loved me. There was one asshole. They all took care of him for me, and life is great. And every single story is the same thing. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, and it's funny that I'll see on some message board people kind of complaining because they're, quote-unquote, not big enough names. <laughs> it's like people are always critics. Well, it, well, that's what's stupid to me. When when LeBron James comes out of the closet, oh, big shocker, his team and teammates support him. When it's just some kid on a high school team or a college team, I don't know how good Jay is, but to be supported by your teammates no matter what you are at any level – to me, the, the high school kid's more impressive. So, yeah, when we've written about Division Three people. They're like, oh, it's only Division Three. Well, <laughs> you tell us that it's impossible to come out in football. We then show you a couple of athletes who've come out to their teams and been embraced in football. How can you continue to say it's impossible? Yeah, or they act like, well, gee, it's, it's, I'm, 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 there's someone on one of the Reddit subthreads that, oh, I'm sick of these stories. Well, then don't read them. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Somebody said that. On, wait, somebody said it on Reddit. Yeah, it's like on the football player story. Division three is basically club sports. I'm getting tired of these stories. Yawn. It's like, okay, and then no one's putting a gun to your head. God, it, it makes it. That is so. I, and I remember when Connor came out. Somebody said, oh well, yeah, yeah. Of course, he's just Division three. It's essentially a glorified high school. Who cares? That's what makes it even more important. How many elite level Division one football players are there. A fraction of how many Division three guys are just trying to get through life, and it's it's just so people are very short sighted and 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 they're sensationalists. It's why so all these celebrity gossip blogs they want to read about the big names and the big people and the big conferences and and they they just don't give a crap about the little guy. 
Yeah, but the, but the good news is these stories are still very well read and received. I mean, they're our most popular stories, hands down, every time we run any of them. Yeah, well, and what are the things? So I just want to, um, just speaking of out people in sports, a couple things that I want to plug is the couple guys that we have writing for us from Sochi. Ryan Sifferman, who plays like football with us, who's who's out gay uh, employee at Fox Sports. He's over in Sochi, and he's going to be writing for us. He wrote a great thing today about using Scruff, the hookup app, to find its way around Moscow. And the Charlie Cullen Walters is going to be feeding us some some video. So it should be good stuff from both of them. Yeah, it's it's a it's a different perspective that we're not getting um, from a lot of the mainstream media. So we're going to have it all during Sochi. We're going to have Ryan Quinn, Patricia Nell Warren writing for us. Um, we'll have uh, the hot bobsledders. Uh, the bobsled couple. All, I've, I've jokingly named the last thing about that next week. Two guys who look like they're a male couple. They're just kind of screwing around enough, but uh, the one guy has a lot of shirtless pictures, so that'll get fun. Right. Well, I can't wait. Well, it's uh, more to come. The Olympics will give us plenty of eye candy and, and stuff to write about. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We will be talking to you next week. 